Hi, friends. It's a joy to be back with you. And I want to start our time uh, together today just by reading a few verses from the beginning of Psalm 34. This is Psalm 34, verses 1 through 3 in the NLT version. I will praise the Lord at all times. I will constantly speak his praises. I will boast only in the Lord. Let all who are helpless take heart. Come, let us tell of the Lord's greatness. Let us exalt his name together. And there's a little note in our Bibles uh, as part of the original text there that reminds us that this is a psalm written by David, reflecting on the time of great chaos and uncertainty and fear in his own life when he was running from Saul and uh, when he ended up before uh, Ahimelech and was, and then before uh, the Philistine king, and was pretending to be crazy. Uh, and maybe, maybe you feel a little bit crazy right now. I know sometimes I do. I want to take you to uh, an unusual passage for hope, uh, but it's one that I find deeply hopeful uh, in the Old Testament. This is a story of Hagar, and it's in Genesis chapter sixteen. Let me just read a little bit for you. It says, Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had not been able to bear children for him, but she had an Egyptian servant named Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, The Lord has prevented me from having children. Go and sleep with my servant. Perhaps I can have children through her. And Abram agreed with Sarai's proposal. So Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian servant, and gave her to Abram as a wife. This happened 10 years after Abram had settled in the land of Canaan. I think we can agree if you try to imagine that through Hagar's perspective. uh, It's pretty uh, horrific, uh, horrific at best. So Abram had relations with Hagar and she became pregnant. But when Hagar knew she was pregnant, she began to treat her mistress, Sarai, with contempt. Then Sarai said to Abram, This is all your fault. I put my servant in your arms, but now that she's pregnant, she treats me with contempt. The Lord will show you who's wrong, you or me. Then Abram is really passive in a way that reminds me of Pilate in Jesus' trial. He effectively washes his hands of this and says, Look, she's your servant, so you deal with her as you see fit. Then Sarai treated Hagar so harshly that she finally ran away. The angel of the Lord found Hagar, it says, verse 7, beside a spring of water in the wilderness along the road to Shur. It's in the wilderness, the desert to the south. The angel said to her, Hagar, Sarai's servant, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai, she replied. The angel of the Lord said to her, Return to your mistress and submit to her authority. Then he added, I will give you more descendants than you can count. And I can just imagine uh, in Hagar's mind, as she's grappling with the sting of those words to return to Sarai, she's simultaneously thinking that this angel has, has got the wrong person. She's thinking, nope, you, you've got me confused. That promise of more descendants was for Abraham and for Sarah. She's thinking, I'm, I'm the slave girl. 
I'm the one they use and the one they discard. I'm the one whose past is trauma and whose present is abuse and whose future is, is numb at the very best. That promise that the angel is hoping, holding out, no, that's, that's for someone else. And the angel goes on to unpack the promise a little bit more slowly, letting that hope begin to marinate through her trauma-scarred, walls put up, been let down too many times heart. The baby that she's carrying is a boy, and the angel tells her she should name him Ishmael, which means God hears because he does. He hears Hagar's tears in the night, the, the shouting of her heart when tears don't feel safe, the aching of her body that's articulated toward God. God hears all of that. He hears those cries. He hears you, Hagar, and he's giving you a baby boy who's going to father more descendants than you can count. And she should name the baby God Hears. At this point, it seems that Hagar realizes, probably just after that angel has disappeared, that she's been speaking to the Lord. This enslaved girl, found by God in the middle of her suicide journey into the desert, then names God out of her intimate experience with him. In verse 13, she says, you are the God who sees me. And then she asks this rhetorical question, which our text translates, have I truly seen the one who sees me? Some other translations uh, draw out the joy and the wonder that she seems to have. It's like she's realizing that somehow she has interacted almost on a face-to-face level with God, which was assumed to be deadly, and yet she's survived now to talk about it. Another translation that I think does justice to the Hebrew and and makes good sense for the context goes this way. Have I truly seen the living one here, here in the middle of the wilderness, in the middle of despair? There's no temple, there's no altar, there's no sacrifice, there's no formal worship, there are no oaths, no righteous deeds, no incantations, no tithes and offerings, no holier-than-thou living, just a depleted, desperate girl at the end of her rope in the middle of the wilderness. And the living one, the God who spun the stars into space, hears her. The one who made light and who fashioned corneas and retinas. He sees her and he finds her to offer her hope. A lot has been made about the power of positive thinking, about emotional benefits. That movement began way back in 1952 when Norman Vincent Peale, uh, who incidentally performed Donald Trump's first wedding, uh, he published a book called The Power of Positive Thinking. But I don't want you to hear this Christian idea of hope and just to lump it into this ongoing debate about some sort of generic optimism and whether it's really powerful enough to do anything. In the Bible, hope is always rooted in a person. Christian hope is always personal. It's, it's rooted in a relationship between you and the person of God. Hagar goes back into this suffering and challenging situation in order to give birth to a baby boy who will effectively be Sarai's son with a dream that he'll one day be free like a wild donkey, all because she hopes in the God who sees her and who has met her here in the middle 
of her desperation. Some of us might be feeling very alone, like we're fighting just to keep moving forward one step at a time in the wilderness. Others, maybe with deep empathy, are feeling connected to others who are suffering more dire circumstances around the globe and maybe are already anticipating that. Whether you're feeling either of these ways or whether you're feeling relatively unaffected, let's just pause with Hagar to remember that God sees us. He sees you. He sees me, even in this moment. And so, like David, let's praise God and boast in him, even if it feels like we do so out of the middle of our helplessness. Let's pray. God who sees us, would you see me right where I'm sitting, right where I'm walking or driving, right where I'm doing my tasks? Would you see me here, see the state of my heart? And would you enable me to praise you? You are the one in whom I hope. And would you give me the resources to carry on and to offer some little bit of hope, even if right now it feels beyond me, to offer hope to someone else. Amen.